Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who are coming to you in prayer. And the privilege that you've given us to gather as your people, to study your word, and to learn how to love you more. We pray that you bless our time this morning. We thank you for this lesson that we'll be watching and discussing, we pray that you would bless our discussion and use this as a time that builds us up in our faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, for those of you who have not been here for the previous lessons, just to bring you similar to what were addressed by Mechon in his time. And just a very brief review, the first lesson was just a general introduction, um, and there were two lessons dealing with Mechon's life and what he went through um, as he was a brilliant student, excelled exceedingly in his academic work struggled to find out what it was he wanted to do in life, what his purpose was. Um, was ordained, started teaching Princeton Seminary, um, and started having conflict uh, because of things that were happening in denomination and in Christianity in general. Spent a year in Europe where he was exposed firsthand to German higher criticism uh, and all that that entailed in terms of undermining the uh, authority of scripture and a totally different perspective on what Christian faith is, and that will be addressed uh, some today as well in the lesson. Um, tried to make changes, he uh, 
his mentor, uh, A.B. Warfield, was uh, friend and mentor, uh, professor of apologetics. Machen wanted to be a professor of apologetics. He was appointed to that post. And then when it was supposed to be approved at the General Assembly, the Presbyterian Church was turned out. He was refused. And uh, eventually, decided to start his own seminary, the Westminster Theological Seminary, as a result of that. And because of um, disturbing trends that will be discussed in the lesson today regarding missions, um, started a new mission organization. And after a period of time of continued conflict and basically having no other option, he and 120 other ruling and teaching elders started in a new denomination, the OPC. <laughs> so, um, very interesting chain of events of how or used him, how he eventually found out what his purpose was, and how the Lord used him in a really significant way uh, to shape uh, Christianity in the United States, which eventually contributed to the beginning of our denomination, in a sense. So that's just a, a brief overview of some of the things that uh, have been brought out so far. A lot of this will be re-emphasized today as he begins to get into uh, specifics. Um, lesson today is Machen in the Church. Uh, lesson next week is on apologetics, and then we start getting into the details of the book doctrinal issues within the book. So um, with that, we'll watch this lesson and hopefully have some good discussion afterwards. Discuss and consider. What about his first point there? Controversy and conflict won't bring clarity and conviction. Does that bring the truth? Better's point there about um, those who criticize what he referred to as um, negative teaching or uh, examining objections to the gospel. 
There's no such thing as negative teaching as long as you, you follow your reputation by an assertion, an affirmation of what you actually believe. For the facts. Yeah. You know, I've been listening to a bunch of testimonies by ex-Muslims, and they say it's critical to um, go directly to the heresies in the, in the religion because it was created as a direct uh, challenge to Christianity with political motivation. For example, they, when they have to repeat five times a day that God has no son, that's obviously a, a direct refutation of the, the central core belief of the Christians. But, so they say you, you have to go you have to go to their creed, expose the fallacies, heresies, wrong teaching, and then, and then, here's the main thing, then preach the gospel as it, preach the truth directly, the truth that's directly in contradiction to those heresies. So that's not negative teaching. It could be perceived as that, but the end result is not. Yeah, things, you can't control the way people are going to receive something, but if you give them truth after you expose the, the fallacy, I think it would be unjust to call it negative. Yeah, I mean, based on your argument, I want to jump ahead to a point I was going to bring about um, apologetics. Now, next week the whole lesson is on apologetics, and you know, we've had number of classes over the years in apologetics and I'll play that more. But uh, how does apologetics fit into what, what you're saying? Well, you have to be prepared to give your state the reason for your position. You, you can't just refute something. If you just refute something to someone, that's say, you have to believe it because this is what I'm saying, right? You have to be able to refute it. It's with any argument, you know, you take their position, put the facts upon it, counter their argument, and you and you prove it to prove your point. Simply stating that you're wrong, which happens to me all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which simply stated you're wrong. Issues there. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, basically, is the emperor. You know, you're proclaiming yourself to be God, and I say it's wrong, and so therefore it is. Well, let me ask it this way: What, what is the role or the importance of apologetics for a Christian? It's uh, it's means to the truth. It's what? Allegiance to the truth, so allegiance to Christ. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I understand allegiance to the truth, but what are you doing with the truth? So you're defending it, right? You're learning you're, the truth. You're, you're going to this in more detail as with we got it. I have jumped ahead and watched the lesson. Reason versus the sword. Uh -huh. yeah. um, the reason I'm bringing this up is I won't be here next week. Johnny's going to lead the lesson. But I have, I have jumped in. Um, he's going to define apologetics. But one of the points he made that I think fits in real well with our discussion 
and I hadn't considered it like this before. But I mean, it's not apologizing for the phase, it's everything that y'all just said. But I think one of the main benefits for a Christian is that it helps you to um, know what you believe and why. I remember there was a book by that name years ago, <clears throat> Know What You Believe and Why. So if you were going to defend an argument, whether it's you know, talking with a Muslim or whatever it may be, you got to know what you believe. Yeah. And you got to know why. And you need to know it well enough so that you can defend it. That's important because most people, when you get down to it, don't really have reasons for why they believe. They think they do, but like often just the reasons they learn through osmosis from the media and stuff, and they haven't really thought things out. Well, I guess you could say they have reasons, but just not very good reasons. Not, not well thought out reasons. Yeah, the, challenge, the challenge forces you to refine to refine your beliefs and be sure of be sure of what you know rather than um, and being able to define it. And that way it's more defined in your own mind as you as you uh, share the truth with others and then them challenging you um, causes you to look deeper and find more defined answers. Yeah, I mean, that's good. And that leads to another thought that you brought up about what is an argument? Um, what is the difference between having an argument and being argumentative? Is there a difference? And if so, what? I think uh, the idea is that uh, an argument is based in truth, whereas argumentative is, um, I like the color blue. Well, blue is a stupid color. I like red. Based on perception. Yeah, based on perception. Whereas an argument is founded on something uh, objective, or should be. All right, so I'm going to try to argue against that without being argumentative. Um, Just because. Yeah. <laughs> That's the correct answer for husbands. <laughs> no, for wives, two husbands. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree. To me, it seems more of an emotional thing. Being yeah. argumentative is Parting from a reason back and forth. Okay, you believe this for this reason. I believe this for this reason. Um, here's why I think you're wrong. Um, as opposed to, you're wrong because you're stupid. See what I'm saying? And I don't know if I'm reading too much into that or not. But to me, that was what. And I would think that argumentative kind of also is being offended yeah. at just an idea, like yes. just discussing ideas yes. here, not taking offense at everything. Yeah, that's actually a better way to describe it. Right. Automatically taking personal offense if someone disagrees with you, right. as opposed to trying to rationally think through. Not debating about what to ask this question. And I probably shouldn't. I'm not talking, I'm talking generally. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, you, you. you know what I'm going to ask. 
do you think there's a difference in the way men can argue? Uh, here, we go. here we go. Absolutely. Depends on the individual person. Yeah, I know that. I'm talking about stereotypical. If emotions get into it, and that doesn't mean men can't get emotional, that doesn't mean women can't be more real. I'm just saying. I'm going to help you out here. Please. <laughs> women are typically more emotional than men. Typically. Please I note that she said that. I didn't I, say, I did that. say that, yes. But men can also be very emotional and wrong at times. And bullied. And bullied and no, argumentative. Bullheaded, <coughs> stubborn, absolutely. So, you know, there is a difference in the sexes and how they deal with things. Um, it's the way God created us so that we could help you all do what you need to do. So, if, if, if some people have a tendency to be bullheaded and some people have a tendency to be emotional on both, you know, both sexes, yeah. um, sometimes that makes reasoned arguments sort of hard. Now it's basis. important to understand also that the content of emotion does not necessarily detract from the content of the rational. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, I would say that the apostles in their writing are highly emotional. They're weeping tears of joy, you know, proclaiming the great salvation. Amen. And yet their content is, their, their argument is completely rational and their men but I guess what I'm trying to get at is, as we even you know, try to talk in, in the debate among ourselves as Christians, much less try to witness and uh, do apologetics to non-Christians, I mean, is it reasonable that all these factors come into play? <coughs> that just makes it hard. Well, if you approach from a caring perspective, yes. then you're able to maintain your emotion, being emotional or being stubborn because you care, you love, and God is working through you to speak to another person. So anyhow, those are things that I thought of when he was going through the discussion about training pastors as specialists in the Bible um, being founded on the truthfulness of God's word, but also not shying away from objections and hard questions. Right. I mean, that's what we deal with in life. We have to be able to communicate with one another yep. in a truthful way. Yep. So, um, what about the discussion about missions? Um, he gave a little bit more background last time. This was taking place in the 1930s. Um, uh, and I guess those factors still come into play somewhat today. My, my perception is that there's so many nonprofit organizations now that are not missions oriented that you know provide care and health and, and all that sort of thing. So you've got a big group there that are doing good work, but have nothing to do with proclaim the gospel versus you know, true mission organizations. Reminds me of um, discussions that I heard 
as I was pulling up in pertaining to the social gospel. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference here between the gospel and the social gospel? Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like the outworking of this original um, Machen's um, points here a few decades later. Heard a lot about the social gospel. Mm -hmm. Or just heard the social gospel discussed. Is that, is that for God loves everybody? Would that be? I think it's more like this summation of the quote from Pearl Buck. Um, just simply care for people. Mm -hmm. Just give them, answer their felt needs, or could be their real, actual, physical needs, but without proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, I don't know, have any of you ever studied Pearl Buck? I mean, you know very much about her and that time frame. Uh, some of you may not have never heard of her. Her most famous book was uh, This Good Earth, which won the Pulitzer Prize in uh, the 30s. She wrote a number of books, and um, she won the Nobel Prize for Literature, not for that book, but for her general writing about uh, the Chinese and mission work. But that was a time frame, and she apparently was, you know, very well known, um, very famous, kind of in that work. Um, I don't know about her well enough to know if she was associated with, uh, what's the name of the band uh, Margaret Sanger. But it was the same time period um, in liberal movements during that time, and she was kind of at the, one of the ones at the forefront there. So I mean, it was a big deal. Uh, and he, I think he was just using her as an example of the attack on genuine missions. And of course, that led to his founding of the And what's sad when people like her say that, that makes me they haven't really been gripped by the gospel because the gospel is the most important thing to a needy world. Yeah. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of Christ to save. And if we're more concerned with someone's physical needs, like needing the social gospel, than actually your greater spiritual need, that tells we don't understand the gospel. Like the gospel is the number one most important thing in my life. Because I'm like, nothing else truly matters. Yeah. And missions truly, the only thing that matters to is sharing the gospel. Yeah. Well, of course, it is. Nobody, nobody argues with that. But, I mean, we don't argue with that. But I think the argument then, and we're actually seeing an element of this now, is, well, I mean, that's fine for you, but who are you to go into a culture somewhere and impose that on, on someone else? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, and I think having a holistic approach to missions, care for body and soul is good. And I think a lot of it, yeah, what you just said, who are you to do that? Or, you know, they will learn Christ just by, you know, caring for them and loving them. Just love them and they'll know Christ. But Scripture presupposes that, like, hearing is necessary. Romans 10 says, how will they call on him? whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe of him whom they have not heard, and how are they to hear without
without someone preaching. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So, and how preaching. beautiful are the feet. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and so, it's not just the, uh, it can be just word, but I'd say when you have the word and the ambitions, um, you know, which is what you see Christ did. Uh, he told people about their sin, but he also cared, you know, the woman at the well, you know, offering uh, water uh, to her and caring for her. So, yeah. Amen. Uh, well, I want to be sure to touch this last point of what he said about confessions. And I gave you that whole quote there so that you can digest it and think about it. Uh, but have you ever you've probably heard the argument, I don't know if you've discussed this or argued with someone, um, no creeds, just the Bible. And you've yeah. seen that? Yeah. So what's the answer to that? No creeds, just the Bible. My answer has been kind of going back to the conversation about heresies is we have this whole Christian heritage of dealing with all these heresies and we simplify these truths that are easy to understand that that um, are based on scripture. Why would you why would you want to, to throw those away? Um, to throw all of that all that collective knowledge that has been gathered together and is a gift for us to like a tool for us to use. Um, is it is it uh, an authority over scripture? No, of course not. But um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a blessing for that reason. And it's been a, and it, you're kind of throwing away all the all the history of, of those responses to heresy when you when you say that those are those are worthless. Yeah. For me, it's essential. I think this is creeds are generational wealth in the faith. For passing generational wealth, it helps them to articulate what we believe. Where I didn't have that growing up. I couldn't articulate what I believe until into my, well, really early parents. <laughs> um, and my kids now know more than I do. So, so again, like going in, when we send them out into the world, I want them to be grounded. Mm -hmm. that's just Did you make that up, generational will? That just came. That's awesome. Just write that down. That, is, that encapsulates it. And not just for what we're talking about, but what we're seeing in our country right now. In, in education, doing away with history. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I want to get back to your point in the remaining sentence. Mm -hmm. To me, the argument against that has always been no creeds, just the Bible. Okay, that's fine. It, 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 if you want to take the Bible and disregard you know, the generational will, and you're going to take the Bible and you're going to try to digest it and explain it and be able to teach it. What are you going to do? You're going to make a creed. You're going to yeah. make a creed or standards. You may not call them the Westminster standards, but you're going to yeah. you're going to read through it. You're going to collect doctrines right. and you're going to organize them. And, so I mean, how can heck can, yeah. can uh, uh, you not accept that? And generational wealth—that is such a good uh, way to describe. All right, so any other final thoughts? Well, one thing we didn't mention was the thing about seminaries. I find that very fitting since today we see Covenant Seminary, which is PCA, is really leftist, and the PCA is not doing a good job of moving out those leftist professors teaching there. And they should really look to what uh, the Missouri Youth and Synod did in the early 70s. 
they put pressure on the Divorce Seminary to change. All the leftist professors went on strike, and the Senate was like, okay, fine, you're all fired. And that really stopped the movement of liberalism in the Missouri Union Synod because all those people left the church and they got their seminary back. And the PCA really needs to learn from that and root out the corruption that comes. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak to that, Joseph. I partly disagree with you. I, I went to Covenant, um, and I, I think it's easy to stand apart and make a lot of judgments. Um, and I'm in the Missouri Presbytery. And if we had more time, we could dive into this. Um, yeah, I would say Covenant is not leftist. I think it's good to always go through these trials, um, you know, issues that come up. But, uh, but anyway, yes, that's a larger discussion. But yeah, what I was going to say is that uh, I picked up the, you know, I think it's the latest issue of Buffet, the PC Magazine. And there was a prominent advertisement for this series in there, and the book. So to me, that was kind of encouraging. So, um, you know, there are problems, but in one sense, and you know, it's okay, very good. Um, but now it's time to go to church. Lord, thank you for your word, for the way it stirs us up, makes us think, makes us want to dig into it, to uh, discuss and, re and reason and even argue with our brothers and sisters. Thank you for um, the wisdom that you give us that we can share with each other um, to build one another. We pray now for the service that follows, that you would be present with us in the preaching of the word, the singing of the hymns, the prayer, and all that takes place. Please be there, be honored, and Thank you for this time, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Mm -hmm.